Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So today's episode is all going to be about questions that you should ask yourself. I've got 10 of these, and it's really important to do this, to go through this. It is so important for your self-love, your relationship with yourself to know the answers to these questions. Now, these questions can be asked definitely more than once, but you can do it every couple of months. If it's something that you struggle with or something that you'd like to raise awareness around, do it every couple of days, okay? It's always good to remind yourself of these things because these answers are not like concrete for the rest of your life. They are things that can change. But as you know, you can't change something that you don't acknowledge. So you need to be aware of these things in order for them to change. Okay. A lot of the time people go through life not knowing the answer to all of these 10 questions. So we are going to go through them and I'm going to give you like sub questions for each one. It's going to be great. I'm very excited. I'm excited for you to know the answers to these questions and then to kind of get a grasp or like an idea of where you want to be headed by looking at where you are now. Now, before we get into that, a little life update. This is a very intense life update because I have just adopted a dog. This is huge for me. Well, not just me, Tyrone and I adopted a dog. We are fucking with child, our dog child, okay, and he is the cutest thing in the world. Basically, we went to the RSPCA and we, okay, so I'll tell you the story. I'll break it down. I'll tell you the story. This is probably going to go for five minutes. If you're not interested, just fast forward straight to the brain fact. But uh, Tyrone and I have been talking about getting a dog for a while. Tyrone's not a dog person at all. I love dogs. And he's kind of like, "Uh (laughs) he reckons that so many dogs look vicious or whatever. The dogs that I think are adorable, he's like, that's a scary dog. And I'm like, no, like a German shepherd, love them so much. Anyway, so he's always been a bit, uh, and then he fell in love with golden retrievers and Labradors. So I thought, okay, this is my in. This is the way I'm going to get a dog. Golden retriever or Labrador, it's, that's it. So then we decided on, okay, we're eventually going to get one or the other. And then, I mean, I've always been totally open and, you know, wanting to adopt a dog from the RSPCA. But I'm like, the chances of Tyrone finding a dog that he loves at the RSPCA um, is probably slim to none. So we're just going to get a golden retriever. Then last week, I was at the Sydney markets with my sister and her partner and they were like, why don't we go to the RSPCA and look at some dogs? So we're like, okay, let's go. And Tyrone was so keen. He's like, let's fucking go. I'm so keen. I'm so interested. So I'm like, wow, okay, maybe maybe he is a lot more open-minded that I've given him credit for if he's open to going to the pound and looking at these dogs. So we get there. We're looking at all these dogs. I fall in love with this, you know, two-year-old-ish dog. He looks like a bull Arab or something, the cutest dog. His name's Zeke, just adorable. Tyrone was not sold. He's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I'm obviously not going to get a dog that only I really want and you don't, so let's just leave, let's just discuss. And then as we left, he was like, I kind of thought that we had both agreed on a golden retriever. And I'm like, oh, babe, I think we've just had the biggest breakdown in communication here because in my head – so in his head, he's like, yeah, fuck, let's go to the <laughs> let's go to the RSVCA and hope to find a golden retriever. And in my head, I'm like, you're never going to find a golden retriever. The fact that he wants to go to this pound must mean that he's open to other breeds. So I was like, we did not communicate this properly. I apologize. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't even tell you that I would only consider this breed. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just put the idea of a dog on ice because now that we've been to the pound, I kind of don't want any other option. I now really want to adopt a dog that's been surrendered to a pound. So maybe we should just not get a dog because neither of us are going to be happy with the solution. And he's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's fine. And then a couple of times during the week, he caught me looking at little videos I had taken of this Zeke dog. And he's like, fuck, let's just go back to the pound and get that dog. He's like, it's a really cute dog. I think it's adorable. 
Let's go. Then I looked it up and the dog had been adopted out. Love that so much for him. Thrilled for Zeki. But he had been adopted. So I thought, okay, maybe it's a sign. Let's just leave it, okay? And anyway, yesterday rolls around. We're at the Sydney markets. We're buying our fucking sweet potatoes and eggplant. And Tyrone says, let's go to the pound after this. Let's go and look at the dogs. And I said, okay, well, are you open to looking at other breeds? And he says, yep, I'm totally open. I've changed my mind. I want to go back. Let's just go. And I said, okay, we'll go with an open mind. We roll in with a fucking entourage. It's Tyrone, myself, our friends Luke, Aston, Liv, Pete, and then my sister and her partner Clayton. So we all roll in this fucking battalion and we're looking at the dogs and there's these little puppies that have just been um, surrendered to the pound. They have no history. They don't know where they're from. And one of the puppies was being absolutely pummeled by the other one. He was just like being rolled over and I was like, that one is so cute. We went in, we met him and we decided that's it, we're getting him. So he's an American Staffy cross. We don't know what it's crossed with. I honestly think it's like lab or something um, based on some photos that I've been Googling like a crazy woman. But yeah, definitely American Staffy cross something. So anyway, we ended up adopting him, took him home and I cannot tell you, it's just the biggest mix of emotions To be honest, I thought that when I would get a dog, it would just be pure excitement, pure happiness. But it is so different to that. Like I adore this dog already, very happy and excited, but it's mixed with so much like nerves and apprehension, like nervousness and apprehension is probably the best way to describe it because it's such a responsibility. I think I'm just becoming really aware. It's like you are now responsible for this dog for the next like 12 to 15 years, which is great because that's what I want. There's no question about it, but it's very daunting. And in a way I'm kind of pleased that I am feeling these feelings because it lets me know that I am taking this seriously, obviously. But yeah, I thought it'd just be like, ha, 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 happy fun times. And it's really not. It's like, fuck, this is a responsibility. Do you have your shit together? Because I've always like... I think this is like really grounding more so than anything I've ever done because everything I've done, I've always had the opportunity to be like, you know, up and go and be more spontaneous and just leave. And this makes you think everything that you do, but I couldn't be happier. I've always wanted a dog. I grew up with a dog, love dogs. So name undecided on the name yet. We have no idea what the name is going to be as of yet. So stay tuned. Maybe he'll, his personality will let us know. We're going to go straight into the brain fact of today. So the brain fact of today is about a substance called atropine. Okay, now a little backstory. The other day I was watching a great documentary, highly recommend it. It's on Disney Plus, I want to say, and it's called The Rescue. And it's about that Thai soccer team. There were these teenage boys or like preteen age boys and their coach and there was 13 of them and they went kind of exploring through a cave in Thailand this really long, hectic underground cave. And then the rain started, long story short, they got flooded in and stuck in this cave, okay? Such a fascinating story how they got these kids out. And basically the documentary follows these divers that they got, these like cave divers that dive down, down these deepest caves. They had Navy SEALs trying to go in, but they had never really done this kind of diving before so they got these cave divers to come in and they were the ones that eventually found the boys and then they were thinking how we're going to get these boys out because at one point they tried to get there was someone else that they tried to get out from the cave no way near as far back as where the boys were stranded and when they were trying to pull them out and it was literally about a 40 second or one minute thing 
the man that they were trying to pull out was just panicking in like in such a panic that when they did that they thought when we find these boys wherever they are how the fuck are we going to get them out of the cave because it is a very traumatizing thing to do and people get into a panic and if you're panicking when you're underwater and you're not breathing out of that apparatus properly you could you could drown and die okay so they located the boys and then there was all this time where the boys had to stay in the cave where they're trying to think how do we get them out because it's like about a two-hour dive from where the boys were to get out of the cave so they contacted this guy who's a doctor, this Aussie guy, he's a doctor and also a cave diver. And they said, you know, do you reckon we can sedate the... And that doctor, the diver, he basically said, not a fucking chance. There's no way you're going to put, make this, turn these children, render them unconscious and go for a two-hour dive out of a cave because when you're unconscious, you can obstruct your breathing and they can, you know, stop breathing altogether. They've got to have this mask on. Anyway, they tried to, to exhaust every option and at the end of the day, the divers said, look, the only way is to have these children sedated to come out. So we have to do it. There is the on- that is the only way. The oxygen's running out. The rain is coming. These children are going to die. If we do not sedate them and get them out, they will not come out. Okay, that is the only option. So they ended up tr- um, giving the children a combination of two drugs, ketamine and atropine. Atropine is what I'm going to talk about. So ketamine, just as a quick side note, I've spoken about ketamine a bit. Um, It's a very fascinating drug. It's got a lot of uses. But depending on the dose, it can be an anesthetic. It can induce someone into a trance state. It can be a pain reliever. It can induce amnesia. um, And it can also be an effective way to treat depression and trauma. So ketamine was the anesthetic of choice in this case. But alongside the ketamine, they administered a drug called atropine. Okay, so atropine is something called a muscarinic antagonist. So it is an anticholinergic or antiparasympathetic drug or antiparasympathetic agent. Okay, now what that means is that it's, it reduces the activity in the parasympathetic nervous system. Now your parasympathetic nervous system is what takes care of the rest and digest part of your autonomic nervous system. Okay. Atropine will antagonize that. It basically blocks that action from happening. So, and then it'll also trigger the sympathetic drive. So it decreased, the main thing that it does, and the reason why they coupled it with the ketamine in this case is because it decreases secretion. So it decreases production of saliva and it induces this dry mouth feeling. So it's, and also in an emergency, it can be used when the heart is beating too slow. It helps to raise the heart rate a little bit. Um, it also reduces bronchial secretions like mucus and stuff during surgeries and things like that. And in this case with the boys, atropine was used to decrease the production of saliva. So there was a much lower risk of the children choking on their own saliva while they're in these scuba suits and for two hours face down, which is fascinating. Now, how does it work? Atropine does this by binding to the muscarinic acetylcholine receptor. It's a particular receptor. And like I said earlier, it is an antagonist. It's a competitive reversible antagonist, which means that it competes at the binding site of the receptor. And acetylcholine is the main neurotransmitter used in the parasympathetic system. So basically it is competing at this binding site and then antagonizing the effects or like blocking or or kind of um, reducing the effects that that can have. And therefore, you're getting this dry mouth, raised heart rate, all of that. You're blocking the, the rest and digest. You're kind of stopping that from happening. 
Now, the name atropine, just a little fun fact, comes from a, uh, a plant in the nightshade family, the belladonna plant. It's called Atropa belladonna. And extracts from this plant have been used for centuries to treat all kinds of things. Even in surgeries, like back in the day, even before they understood the exact mechanisms of action, they would use it in combination in surgeries, I think with like opioids and things like that, to sedate the patient when they would operate. Um, yeah, good times because they, they found that it had this effect that it would, you know, without knowing exactly how it worked, they found that it would antagonise the effect of acetylcholine within the parasympathetic nervous system. That is the brain fact of the day. So I found that really, really interesting when I saw the vials there and they had like, you know, ketamine and atropine. I was like, that is fucking very interesting. And they explain it very briefly in the documentary, what each one does. Okay, let's get into the topic of the episode today. 10 things you should know about yourself. Now, the first thing that I want you to do is to actually be writing these things down for many reasons. Number one, it helps you slow down when you answer it and it helps you really put a lot of thought into it and and really kind of delve into it. You can type it out or write it down, but it's good to write the answers down as well as, of course, the questions. The other good thing about this is it's good to then save it. If you found this really interesting, save it and then answer it in a few months' time or in a year's time and look at how things have changed for you, okay? So it's a really, really, really good self-love exercise to do. Let's get straight into it. Number one, what feeling do I avoid feeling the most and why? Okay, it is so important to understand this about yourself because it taps into what your main insecurities or what your main fears are. If the feeling that you avoid feeling the most is something that's rational, then you can kind of Look at it, address it and think, well, yeah, fair enough that I feel that. That's, that's a very rational thing to fear or that's a really rational thing to, you know, not want to play into too much. So that's fine. But sometimes the things that you might be avoiding the most is vulnerability. And you can't access true connection and true happiness without some level of vulnerability, right? That's how you strengthen a connection between somebody. That's how you get to know yourself better. So if you ask yourself, let's say vulnerability is the answer to that, and you say, I avoid feeling vulnerable the most. Why? Because you feel unsafe. Is it because you feel attacked? Is it because you feel unlovable? It's really important to know the answer to that question. Because once you understand the answer, the why, then you're able to think, okay, well, what do I need to change that thing? If, if That's if it can be changed. What do I need to do? If it's because you think that you're unlovable, then it's certain things that you can do to work on your self-love or work on your current relationships. If you think it's because you're going to be hurt or attacked, then you should look at the quality of the current relationships that are around you and think, is this a reflection of the relationships around you? Okay, so but gain an understanding. What feeling do you avoid feeling the most and why? Number two, what are my three non-negotiables every day. So I feel self-love. So you feel that you love yourself. If you don't know what those non-negotiables are, then you're likely not doing those things consistently for yourself every single day. Now you might be a very well-rounded person where a lot of things are going well, so you might not need these non-negotiables. Okay. However, for a lot of people, self-love is a big issue. And I know that for sure because when I look at the downloads of my episodes, the self-love episodes by far, by far, by far exceed every other episode. People 
love any episode around self-love because they want to love themselves more, which is fucking amazing and I love that. Nothing makes me happier than seeing those episodes thrive above all others. But obviously people are repeating those episodes because they want this information because they want to increase or improve their relationship with themselves. So if you're in that situation, then you should absolutely have three things, three non-negotiables every single day to feel self-love. For me, I personally have, like me, Alexis, I personally have meditation, alone time and quality time with somebody that's very close to me, okay? And that could even be just a quick phone call to my mother, okay? But if I do those things every single day, I feel really grounded and I feel really happy within myself, okay? Because I've reached out and connected to someone that matters to me and getting that connection and that having that interaction with that person makes me feel a, just a deep sense of love. And when you interact with people that always, you know, have your best interest at heart, who you adore, it helps you with your self-love because you're creating that like safe space, that beautiful energy where you have a big strong connection of love okay it doesn't have to be a person either this can be with a dog you know I've got Negroni now good times I'm playing with Negroni okay meditation is amazing because you're saying to yourself no matter what happens even if only for a minute I'm going to give my mind a bit of respite and I'm going to give myself that time because I deserve it and because it is important and I need it and I know that I'll be more relaxed happier calmer perform better at everything else if I do this for myself Okay, so that's why I find it so important. Something like meditation, connect with someone that I adore and a little bit of alone time. If I do that every single day, I'm genuinely feeling a lot better about myself and I'm feeling in a really good place every single day. But what are your three non-negotiables? You decide, it can be absolutely anything. Number three, what feeling do I crave the most and how do I look for it and is it good for me? For example, if the feeling that you crave the most is excitement and how you look for it is constantly going on an adventure, always taking a motorcycle out and blah, 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 that's pretty good for you, right? You're not hurting anyone. You're not hurting yourself. You're getting that adrenaline kick. You get that bit of adventure and excitement in your life. Everyone's happy. Fantastic. You've answered the question. You're like, that's what I do. It's always good to acknowledge it as well because then when you think, oh, I'm feeling a bit flat, well, bang, I know exactly what I do, what 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 feeling I crave the most. I know how I get that feeling. Everything's great. However, if the feeling that you crave the most is something where you're relying on other people, then this is something that you need to know about yourself. So maybe you can edit a few things to try and like steer yourself into a different direction. For example, if the feeling that you crave the most is to be validated and the only way you do that, and if the answer to is how do I look for it is in other people, is it good for me? No, it's not. Because if you can only get this from other people and external sources, and if it's something so deep like validation where it's am I good enough or not, then you're saying the only person that can tell me I'm, tell me I'm good enough is somebody else. So ask yourself. You're going to find out really by the end of all these questions, you're going to find out, you see it on paper, how good is my relationship with myself, Okay. Don't worry if the answers aren't ideal right now. It doesn't matter. I've got all these episodes on how to, you know, start to tweak these things and exercises you can do to start, you know, creating all these feelings for yourself instead of looking for it in other people. However, it's really important to know these, these um, answers to these questions. Number four, how do I comfort myself when I have been hurt? 
And if your answer is I don't, then this is your cue to start doing it. Now, there's two ways of being hurt. There's the hurt where something happens to you. Someone's broken up with you. You've had a fight with someone. You've seen something really sad. Something's occurred. Something has happened and you are now hurt. That's hurt number one. Hurt number two is when you've hurt yourself, when you've let yourself down, where you've spoken really badly to yourself, when you made a mistake and then you've just been so self-destructive in your behaviours around after making that mistake. That's almost a, a worst kind of hurt because that's when you're starting to abandon yourself. Because with the other hurts, if you can be there for yourself, you at least have this foundation of, well, at least I feel supported by me, you know. But if there's the hurt where it's you causing that hurt to yourself and making yourself feel shit about yourself and con- continuing down this spiral, then that's going to be impacting your, your self-love, your growth, your happiness, all of those feelings, Okay. But for either one of those, because I'm not saying I'm not saying you have to never speak badly to yourself. It's 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 a journey that we go on. It's a journey of self love to learn how how to not speak so horribly to yourself, and you can't expect to stop doing it overnight if it's something that you do. But what I'm saying is you've got to acknowledge both things as as falling under the hurt category. So every time you feel hurt, not just by external things, but also by from you from something that you've said or you've done, how do you comfort yourself? Because you should not only be comforting yourself when someone else has hurt you, but you should 100%, if not more so, comfort yourself when you've done something to hurt yourself, when you've said something awful, really nasty to yourself. Now, really figure out what the answer to that is. Do I give myself some some downtime? Do I say, I'm not going to go to this thing. I don't care how much pressure you're putting on me. I'm not going to this event. Or do you say, I'm going to go into the, I'm going to raid the fridge and get something that's delicious and take my mind off it? Do you get onto social media and try and distract yourself? What is your thing to soothe? Do you actually do something like really meditate? Do you go for a walk and stroll? Do you go surfing? What is it? Ask yourself, what is it? And if you don't have a thing, write down right now, write down three things, three options that you could do to soothe yourself next time you're hurt. It could be go for a walk, make myself a beautiful tea, or call the funniest person I know, whatever it is. But write three things. So you got that list there, and if you're not in the mood for one or two of those, you're hopefully in the mood for the other one. Number five, who is my biggest source of comfort? And how am I nurturing that relationship? Okay? Think about the person that you desperately want to call when something goes wrong or when you're extremely stressed or when, you know, it could be also with good things as well, when you're really excited and you want to tell someone something. Who is the person that you call and say, oh my God, this just happened. Now with that person, are you doing that for them? Are you also that person for them? And if not, why not? Do you feel that you use them to be like a sounding board? Oh, I've got all my emotions out. Okay, thanks, bye. Or do you ask them questions about themselves? You know, what are you doing to really nurture that relationship with that person? Because the person that you call to tell all these things in your hour of need or in your hour of happiness is one of the most important people in your life. That is a huge, a huge title for someone to have 
And if you are that for somebody else, that's a massive compliment to you, okay? A massive compliment to you. And you need to nurture those relationships because if a relationship like that exists in your life, you have to ask yourself, what am I doing often enough to nurture this relationship with this person? Because obviously they mean the world to me. Otherwise, they would absolutely not be my first phone call. Okay, so ask yourself, what am I doing? Can I do something today for this person? Number seven, what is my biggest source of pain? Is it something that's happened to you in the past? Is it an ongoing chronic thing that's occurring to you right now? If you don't have the answer to this question, then you're in a very fortunate position. And you need to be grateful for that and just acknowledge that you're in a, in a space of gratitude because while you've experienced pain, you feel that nothing is so massive and insurmountable that nothing's immediately cropping up for you. And that's amazing. Or maybe you could say, well, this used to be my biggest source of pain, but I can honestly say I've worked through it and it no longer affects me the way it used to. But it is important to acknowledge what your biggest source of pain is because sometimes it takes a little bit of thinking and then you think, why is this thing still affecting me so much? I keep sweeping it, sweeping it under the rug, but it still keeps cropping up and I just can't let it go. And really, the one that, that gets most people is heartbreak. Heartbreak is one of the worst pains a lot of people can feel and it can linger for a long, long time. And it's something that we need to acknowledge and we need to address in order for us to fully be able to heal from it, okay? But it's important to know what that biggest source of pain is for you. And also, it's really important to know that when you answer these questions in six months' time or in a year's time, that you can look back and say, have I had any growth in this, in moving from this pain or in healing this pain, okay? So really just write it down and write all the emotions that you feel around that. Number eight, what are my five non-negotiables in a romantic partner? What is absolutely necessary for this person to have or for this person not to do? So, for example, cheating, won't have it, absolutely won't have it. That's a non-negotiable, okay? There can be no cheating. Um, or humour, I have to find them funny. If I'm not laughing with my partner often, I cannot be with them in a serious capacity. Uh, it's not enough for me for them to be just nice. That might be one of your non-negotiables and that's perfectly fine. But what are they? Get clear on them. It's important to get clear on them for many reasons. Number one, it gives you clarity, like really good clarity. Sometimes we're like, oh, I just want to be loved. Not good enough. Not good enough. Being loved is not good enough because a lot of us have a very warped, warped idea of what love is. And a lot of us, to the extent that a lot of us think that, Control equals love and it does not. Some of us find ourselves in very unhealthy relationships and we confuse it for love or for being loved and we're not loved properly, okay? It's not a healthy love. It's not true love, okay? So love does not conquer all, unfortunately. It's love and a few other things that have to come into the mix. And wanting to be loved should not be the only thing that you want from a partner, okay? because that can come with a whole bunch of other problems. So you need to get clear on what you want. The other benefit of knowing exactly what you're, just top five, you can have top five non-negotiables and then you can have another five that are like ideal. But if they don't have the ideal list, but as long as they've got the non-negotiables, then we can talk, you know, something like that. The other beauty of knowing what you want is that you are more in tune and aware when 
crops up in your life. It's like this um, reticular activating system. You know, when you know what you want, it is easier to spot because you are primed to pay attention to those things in other people. Now, if you're sitting here right now listening to this episode saying, well, I've got a partner who I love and they don't fulfill my my non-negotiables, well, then it's not a non-negotiable, is it? Because you're dating that person and you're still with them. If it was a non-negotiable, it means that you cannot enter in this negotiation because there's a non-negotiable, okay? So if you are dating that person, they clearly fulfill all these non-negotiables or you should not be dating that person. Okay, number nine, what do I consider success to be and why? Now, don't be idealistic with your answer because this is a list that you can answer many times over in your life. What do you today consider to be success? Okay. Don't say what you think you should say. Do it this way. Who are the people that you consider to be successful and why? Are they the ones that are making a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year or more living in a beautiful home with a beautiful car? Is that maybe that that might be what you'd be like, that's fucking success. That's what I'm working towards. Is it the ones that might not have much money, but they live this gypsy life where they can be wherever, whenever, nothing to hold them down? Do you look at that and think, fuck, that person is killing it. Okay. Or is it the ones that have those big, close families and everyone's loving each other? They're always like eating together. They're always talking to each other, siblings, aunties, cousins, uncles. Is it that? Do you think that is the mark of success to have this big, happy family? Is it someone who's always laughing, always having a good time, doesn't have a care in the world, never gets stressed? Is it someone with fame and respect and they're, you know, respected by many? Or is it something completely different altogether that I haven't mentioned? What do you consider success to be based on the people that you look at thinking, oh, wow, I want to be like that. Or, wow, imagine having that. Okay? So don't think success equals happiness because we all know that, you know. But as far as what do you deem success, what do you want? When you see someone and you think, I want that, what does that look like? And based on that, based on your answer, Do you model how you feel about your life and your achievements around this or not? Are you able to look at someone being like, wow, they're fucking killing it financially, but genuinely think, no, I don't need that. Because if that's the case, then probably your idea of success is different to that. But it's really good to know why you consider something to be quote unquote successful. Have you been raised that way? Are you just around a culture or a society that values people more when they have a certain thing, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the last one, number 10. If your whole life got shaken on its head, turned on its head, and you lost your income, your job, all your savings, your home, your romantic partner, everything fell apart, how would you rebuild your life? Would you try and get back on the same track Or would this be your opportunity for a new lease on life? Would you think, fuck it, let's just move somewhere else. Let's just just start from scratch. Let's try that new career that I was going to try. Or would you think, I'm going to do everything in my power to live where I used to live, to have that same career again and to have a partner with the same connection that I had with that person? What would be your answer to that? And that's going to give you a very good indication if you want to be working away from what you have right now or if you want to be working on what you have right now. Guys, that is the episode of today. Go back, write them all down, answer all those questions, 
Get clear on those answers and then save those answers. Return back to it. You can do it more regularly, but ideally in six months to a year, you know, so you have some time in between. Some of those questions you might want to answer more often, but for example, how do I comfort myself when I get hurt? That's a good one to ask yourself more often. Uh, But in general, you know, ask yourself all of this in about six months to a year. Even set an acute reminder on your phone or something like that. It would be really cool for you to open up that letter again or that document on your computer and be like, wow, I've grown in these, these, and this, this, and this area. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you want, by all means, share your answers if you feel up to it on the Facebook page. See if anyone else is doing it as well and see what, what you know, it's always good to share your answers. I think a bunch of people were doing the 30-day challenge that I set a few months ago. Um, together and that was fucking awesome to see so guys love you so much enjoy your monday as always remember be kind to yourself be kind to your brains don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself don't care